0: To his disciples. Let me just stop there. So if we had gone to the other gospels, you would have seen other parables that were recorded there, just as it says here, there were many parables. So there's just giving this one example, the grain of mustard seed, but you have to the idea is he's spending a lot of time here in these parables. Then the Bible goes on to say in verse 35, and the same day when the even was come. He saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat unto the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open up the word of God and for you, Holy Spirit, to teach us and to guide us. We ask and pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts in a very real, powerful, and personal way. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you give me to bring this lesson this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd use me as your instrument that it would bring honor and glory to you, despite my own faults and failures, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all these things. Amen. So again, verse 35, if you look on your handout, the same day, it's the day in which he's giving these parables and he's teaching them about the kingdom. And uh, really, as I look at this this morning, here's the gist of, of the direction I've kind of went. With this, the the miracles is a, I mean, it's a pretty easy miracle to understand what's happened here. They go out and there's this great storm and uh, they're afraid and Jesus calms the storm. But as I thought about this and I was putting this lesson together, he had just spent all of this time teaching and um, taking these truths of the kingdom and planting these truths in the hearts and minds of people, and really as far as the church goes, and the church age in which we live, that's been happening for 2,000 years where people assemble, and the preacher gets up, and the preacher teaches, and the preacher um, preaches the word of God and the truths of God's word. And um, we have ears, so we hear, we think about these things. And then as believers, we want to make application in our lives. And uh, so we do make application but then the Lord, as we, as I hope that you see through this lesson, through different circumstances and situations in life, uh, these truths that are taught to us become a reality because we have to apply the Word of God. We have to see how it's working in our lives. And um, th- that's kind of the direction I-, I went with this. So if you notice that opening... Paragraph there, he'd been teaching his disciples the word, and now he would give them a practical test to see how much they really had learned. So, hearing the word of God is intended to produce faith in the believer, not just saving faith, but a living faith, a faith that we live by every year. You understand what, or every day. You understand what I'm saying. It's just part of who we are. We experience things, and um, I was thinking like. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he was giving, he was giving instruction. He was giving instruction. If you, I'm not going to turn to Ephesians chapter six, but he talks there about children being obedient to their parents, and and, and all through, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about the relationship of husbands, the relationship of wives, talks about marriage, talks about many different things. It talks. There's an instruction there about. Uh, not stealing. If you were a thief, not to steal any longer. There's instruction there with regards to the, our attitude, the things that we say, the communication that we have, and, and, and many, many other things. And Paul, he, he says that this in Ephesians 6.6. 6, he says, but don't do this with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, Here I've given, Paul says, I've given you all of this instruction. Now just don't do that in front of men, uh, just so that they think that you're living this Christian life. No, no. You're you're doing this before the Lord, first and foremost. In other words, don't just do this for show. Uh, A more familiar verse would be what James said. And I think all of you know this verse being doers of the word, and what? Not hearers only. All right, so it's one, in other words, Paul is saying, you know, don't have one type of Christian life in your public life and another type of life in your private life. That your real faith probably plays out more in your private life than it does in your public life. And um, faith, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. And so the Lord, as we grow in our faith, there's always going to be tests and trials that come into our life that we're going to experience. Now, in the in the miracle, did Jesus know that was that the storm was coming? Well, of course, he knew that the storm was coming. Does he know the storm, whatever it might be, is coming into your life? Of course, he knows it's coming into your life. You know. Um, now, here's the thing, to, but to think about many times people can mistakenly think. That when storms come into their lives, they only come into their lives because in some way they've disobeyed God. And sometimes I think God does bring storms in our life as corrective measures. In fact, maybe, maybe you could give me an example. There's, a, there's a, a very famous Old Testament example of a servant of the Lord... Who was running from God, and God literally brought a storm into his life? Who was that? That was Jonah. Right? And so, uh, in that, there are times that God brings things into our lives. I believe as corrective measures. Whom the Lord loveth, the Bible says, He correcteth. Uh, the chastening of the Lord. We should, as children of God, we we should be thankful for the chastening of the Lord. So sometimes He does that. But there are many, many examples in the Bible when there are storms in people's lives, and it had nothing to do necessarily with, um, the fact that these individuals were running or fleeing from God and God's will, but God was doing a work in their lives. Somebody give me another example. Who might, somebody in the Bible that, that God just allowed a storm to go in, in their life and, and yet God was teaching them through that storm. Joseph, that's a great example. There's a man who, the Bible says, he um, was a man obviously who loved the Lord, and yet there was one storm after another storm after another storm in Joseph's life. So there's a man who's not a, not being corrective, or God is not correcting him in the storm. God is building him in the storm. Um, another example in the Bible is, will somebody give me another example? Job. Now, Job, there's an important lesson that Job learns at the end. Anybody remember what Job learned at the end of all of this? Anybody else? <laughs> what did he learn? This is above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, he did learn that, but... But there's something else that he, that he that he learned. Hold true, and you'd be rewarded. Well, that is a lesson in Job, because he was rewarded twofold. Anybody remember at the very end? It's something that often is forgotten in the book of Job. Well, he he repented. He was a man who learned repentance. This is a man who was an example of a godly life. But at the end of the book of Job, he repents and realizes that, yeah, he all of these things in Job's life are, are listed and all these, the way he dealt with all this. But at the end, he realizes he's just a sinner uh, in need of a, a, a savior, in need of a redeemer. Now, he mentions that throughout the book of Job, but the reality comes at the, very, at the very end. It's really one of the great lessons in the book of Job. So anyhow, these are just examples of storms. So a couple of things here that uh, I want to kind of look at in this, in this storm. So the word of command in verse 35. So look what it says. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over the other side. Well, listen, the fact of the matter is the moment really that you get saved, you're headed to the other side. Do you, you understand? I'm talking figuratively speaking in the sense that, well, not figuratively, but literally that we're, le- we're heading from this life and we're going to land on the shores of eternal life. Amen? And at least that's what I'm hoping and I thought that you're hoping too because that's the promises of God's word. But here the disciples, they've just sat there and Jesus has just taught them. And now he said, we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And all throughout their experience, Jesus is giving them command. And that's really the first point of my lesson this morning. It's the word of command. In Matthew chapter 8, it's put this way. And when he, Jesus, was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. In Luke 8.22, it says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. They launched forth. We're on our way to the other side. That's where we're heading. And uh, that's the promise. But the first word of command is, Follow me. And all through our lives, God is is through his word, through the teaching and preaching of, of his word. He's commanding us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. And it may seem like a very simple point, but the reality is they had to get into the ship and they had to go with Jesus. And so Jesus is calling all of us to do things for him. Every one of us. And uh, these, we sometimes think these are just little things but it's the command word of God just listening to the lord and doing what the lord commands us to do let us go over unto the other side of the lake jesus said and the bible says they launched forth and the day that you got saved he not only called you uh, as a child of god to eternal life but he called you to be a follower of him a follower we were at, uh, Shelley and I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts this morning on the way in uh, to get a coffee, and uh, the, the gal who was uh, serving us at the window, she said, are you on your way to church? And, you know, I guess dressed like this in the car, they probably just assumed that. And I said, yeah, we are. So I said, well, do you attend church anywhere? Oh, she said, I know, I know who you are, and I know where your church is. My daughter used to attend your church. And she had a daughter. Her name was Deshante. Some of you that have been around a little longer may remember. She used to ride the bus and came for quite a while. And and I'm going to make an assumption. I can't be sure, but I'm going to make an assumption. As a small child, she made a profession of faith in the Lord. And um, I guess only eternity will reveal whether that was genuine or not. But at least gave her the opportunity. And um, so... I guess the point of that is God has called all of us to be a witness and to share our faith. And um, that's part of the command of what God has called us to do. It's part, of, it's part of who we are. But he said to the disciples elsewhere, he said to the disciples, follow me. And most of you know, you probably all know this verse too. Follow me and I will make you blank of men. What? Fishers of men that's part of being a disciple being a fisher of men it's part of the command of god um, and so it's just this is just a very simple first point we're going to spend most of our time this morning on, on, on the second point um, but john, but in john's gospel in john chapter 8 and i have it on your handout and you don't need, really need to turn there but in John chapter eight and verse thirty-two, it's another verse um, that says, um, I don't, I, "You shouldn't have, I, you put that up on the screen." I didn't want you to, but that's okay. It's up there now. Uh, in John chapter eight and verse thirty-two, it says, uh, "Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall what?" Well, it's up there. So he's putting it up there for you. You don't even need to know it. All right, but if you notice, there there's uh, so many people know that verse. But you know what many people don't know? And Steve had it up there. It's the preceding verse. Which I didn't want him to put up, but he just put up. (laughs) Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Indeed. So you can put it up now. It's all right if you put it up now. I mean, now, I... So everybody, many people, even non-believers, if you, if you said you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shall make you free, people know that verse. But the preceding verse is an important verse. It's continuing in God's word. It's the command word of God. It's making the application of God's word to our lives. You understand what I'm saying? And so in a very simple way, Jesus said to these men, listen, let's, we're going to go to the other side. You need to get into the ship. Follow me and they had to get into the ship, and they had to follow him. There's an old hymn that we, we used to sing, Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow him. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. I don't know the rest of the hymn. <laughs> huh? Anywhere he leads me, I will follow him. What a simple truth. But now go to the second, the second point, the word of, of promise on your handout, verse, the same verse, verse 35. So the verse is the command word. Just get in, and you gotta follow me. But we're gonna go to the other side. Sometimes when I'm out on my motorcycle, riding around these back roads all through here, if, um, and Frank will attest to this, sometimes we'll come by, I'll go by an old cemetery. And one of the things about New England is the cemeteries are old. In fact, I didn't even know on the other side of Route 2, just as you get on the other side, uh, I think it's before you cross over the river there, there's a, like a little rest area. There's a cemetery there. I didn't know it was there until a couple of years ago. The stones in that cemetery, most of them are so old. That's from people who settled in that little valley there back in the, in the early 1700s. Um, You can't read, they're just blank. They've been worn out by the weather. But my favorite, and I like to read the tombstones, because they tell a story. You can see, for instance, we were at one cemetery, and you could tell that sickness must have gone through the family, because there was three or four children, they all died. And you tell a story, and you think about these people living here. And, And I just like to do that. I just find that, I don't know, I just got to find it interesting. There's little symbols. When we did the, um, when we, Shelley and I were in Boston last fall, we, I did the, uh, the Freedom Trail for the first time. We went to the couple of cemeteries, and there's symbols on the, I forget what they all mean, to be honest with you, but different, at different times there were different symbols that were put on the uh, gravestones, and they meant different things. But my favorite tombstone and saying one time was this. See you on the other side. That's what it said. I loved it. See you on the other side. Because that's really, you know, see you on the other side. Um, And we're all heading for the other side. It's a promise. It's a journey. At the end of this life, we're going to the other side. And um, just as this boat would land on the other side of the... um, Sea of Galilee. Now, their mission here wasn't done yet. And so that's what I mean by we have this journey. We're all on this journey. And along the way, we're going to go from place to place to place to place. And, um, well, the Mandy family, you just, you, you were in Texas. The journey's taking you to New England. That's about as different from Texas that you can be in, and be in America. As far as spiritually speaking, it's a different place. And I'm sure you're, Kind of experiencing that. Um, and then I've had friends who've left New England and they've moved to the South. And that's a really different experience. Uh, I was, there's a preacher that I, I know that is looking to get involved in a ministry in South Carolina. It's a different world spiritually in South Carolina. I mean, I, you could literally in the, in the Carolinas, if you wanted to give many directions to the Walmart, you could probably say, "Go to the First Baptist Church on this corner and take a left, and and go to this church on this corner." I mean, there's churches everywhere, and uh, but I, I did have somebody else say, "The only problem is everybody in the South thinks they're a Christian," because that's just so much more part of their culture. But it's a journey that we're on, and there's but there's and there's there's promises along the way. That God makes to has made through His Word it's so important that we know the Word of God, and that's here. Jesus is teaching the apostles these promises because Jesus is not going to always be with them. He's going to, as you know, go to the cross. He's going to be crucified and uh, rise from the dead, and then forty days later, He's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to leave the holy. The Holy Spirit is going to come and comfort them and teach them. But Jesus is not going to be in their presence. So he's teaching them all of these truths, not in their presence in a uh, physical sense. Jesus is teaching them all of these truths and all of these promises to prepare them for the journey. And we're reminded of that. So take your, take your uh, Bibles. We'll come back and finish up at the end in, in Mark. But go to the God, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12. So after he's taught them these truths about the kingdom, he's got to begin to grow them up in the faith. And part of growing them up in the faith was this storm that was allowed to come into their life. They're fearful. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Of course he cares. Of course he cares. And of course he knows. But in Hebrews, I think, did I say chapter 12? I meant chapter 5 because it's on your hand. Hebrews chapter 5, these are These are great chapters in the Bible, all chapters in the Bible are great, but I just want to look at a few things here. These chapters are really dealing with the teaching about Jesus and him being our high priest, priest after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 12. And keep in mind, now this is all in the context. The first point was there's the word of command, but there's the word of promise. Okay, the word of command in John chapter 8, verse 31, was, If you continue in my word, the promise was, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you'll find that with promises, there was always a condition to the promise. Well, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, probably Paul, we're not sure, but I think it was Paul, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you see the last part of verse 14, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern. In other words, your faith needs to be an act of faith. You need to observe the command word of God and then enjoy the promises of God's word. But notice what happened here. There's a little bit of a rebuke that Paul gives here in the book of Hebrews. Look at verse 11, where he says this. He says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. He's saying to them, be careful that you don't become dull of hearing. Um, Make sure that your faith is being put into practice. And he has to say to them, at this point, You should be and have advanced in your faith. But now we've got to go back to the milk of the word. Because the things that I'm bringing to you now, these things are, these are, these are deeper things. And the storms that God brings into our lives help us to grow and mature in the faith. To be closer to the Lord. He goes on in chapter six and look what he says. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go forth unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So what is he saying there? Saying, listen, these things that he's just lift, listed in these several verses that I just read, these are the basics of Christianity. We shouldn't ha- we, sh- the, we shouldn't have to keep going over these things over again and over again and over again. You should have learned these things. You should know these things. That's, what he's, that's what's that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across here. Who Jesus is. Repentance from dead works. The idea that salvation is by grace and not by works. The idea of the resurrection of the dead. We shouldn't have to keep preaching about. It's not that we don't preach about and mention these things. It's The idea is, as believers, these things should be settled in our heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? We should know these things. This is the foundation of our faith. You'll never... You'll never build the house if you keep tearing the foundation down and having to rebuild it over again and over again and over again. And so, um, for sake of time, verses, verses uh, 4 down through verse 10 or so are very interesting verses, but uh, I don't really have time to get into all of those things there. So skip down out of verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. These are promises that are placed here. In other words, God, God is observing who you are and what you've been doing. He sees your faith. He sees how you're exercising your faith. This is a good thing, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And then he goes on and he says this. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. I like that word diligence there, the the idea of diligence. We need to have a faith that's a diligent faith. We take the command word of God. We trust in the promises of God and we make all that application. There they are in the Sea of Galilee. They're really brand new believers only walking with the Lord for a year. Now the storm has come into their life. Jesus is going to take, uh, Jesus has made the command, get into the ship, the promises. We're getting to the other side. And so he's going to show them that they don't need to be afraid. What he promises he's going to do. You understand what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? And so he says here, we desire that everyone do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. That you be not slothful. Don't be lazy in your faith, but followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made promise, He gives an example here. For when God made promise to Abraham, because He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself, saying, "Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee." But there's an oath that God gave, and God gave the oath uh, and he swear, there's no higher power than God. So the oath was given by God saying that he would bless Abraham and all that came after him. Like on your hand out here's the promise. Look what it says in Genesis, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess possess the gates of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. He gave the command word to Abraham. Abraham followed the command word, and the promises of God were given to Abraham. In spite of the fact that there were times in Abraham's life where God brought a storm, and Abraham wasn't as faithful as he should be. In spite of the fact that at times Abraham, he failed God. Just like you and I sometimes, we fail God. But here's a great promise. God never fails you or me. Never. And that's a wonderful truth. And Abraham waited He wasn't perfect between the time the promise was given of the fact that he would have a son and the time that Isaac was born. But God fulfilled his promise. Listen, God's promises don't often, and we should be thankful for this, depend upon our character, but upon God's faithfulness. Carest thou not that we perish? They said on this ship. Of course he cares. As all of you know, two weeks ago, my son and his wife, really our family to some extent, but to them, the greater, went through a great storm in their life. And I can only give my observance of them, but never did they say, carest thou not? What's going on here? They both knew that what took place could have went completely the opposite way. And instead of rejoicing at the birth of a child, we could have been, God, and I thank God and praise Him that this didn't happen. Well, we could have been experiencing a great, loss. Triumph and tragedy. What a mix. Whew. So God brings those storms. You don't know. But we do know that whatever the outcome was going to be then, and I thought and I saw many some of you too, many posts on the Facebook about the faithfulness of God. And you know what I thought? I'll give you an example. Our missionary, our former missionaries the Stevens, they were missionaries to Cambodia. Well, just about two months ago, they had a similar situation. And in that situation, their grandchild died. But God was just as good a God then as God was two weeks ago. And I think it wasn't... I wanted to express that on Facebook, but I didn't feel it was my place because this was Aaron and Kristen's moment. And they they understood that. I hope that, that sounds correct. But that's just the reality. God is always good. He always cares. He always knows. We don't understand why. And I think the disciples are learning that. I think the disciples, as many of them, would be martyred for the faith. I don't think at the time of their martyrdom say, were saying to God, carest thou not that we perish? They had moved from that point in their Christian life to a deeper and a closer walk with the Lord because of these promises that God has given. They had moved away from the principles of the doctrine of Christ. And you understand when I say moved away, they hadn't forgotten them. They were just bedrock solid in their life. They were moving on to grow and to mature in the faith. They were diligent in their faith. And so sometimes these storms, as I've already said, are for correction. Sometimes they, they, they're to build confidence. Sometimes they're for confirmation. On your handout, there was an oath. Look in verses 16 and 17. For men verily swear by greater. An oath for a confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God more willingly or willingly more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath. The promise of God by two immutable things. These are great verses. It was impossible for God to lie. When God makes a promise, we never have to wonder, I wonder if he's going to keep the promise. It is is literally against the very nature of God to not keep the promise. That we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. And then he finishes here in Hebrews with this. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which is in the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, Made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're almost out of time, so let me let me give you this quickly. The picture that he, the writer of Hebrews, is painting here is there's a storm, and there's a ship trying to get into the into the harbor, and the storm is so bad that the ship cannot get into the harbor. The forerunner, if you study that word out in the Greek, it's like a small boat that the ship would launch, and the the anchor would be placed in the boat. And so the ship is outside of the harbor. The rowboat, I'll just use that word, gives us a better idea. The boat goes into the harbor and sets the anchor in the harbor. And so there is the ship. It's being tossed to and fro, back and forth. The waves are beating on it. But the cable from the ship to the anchor is strong, and the anchor is in the harbor holding the ship there until the ship itself can get into the harbor. That's the picture that, that, that. So in the in the metaphor here, the forerunner is Jesus. He's the one that's made the way. He's the one that we're anchored to in life. And so, whatever the storm is, whatever's beating against us, whatever that is, it's not "Carest thou not that we perish?" That's we we we. I, and I'm sure people have doubts when things are going on in their lives. Doesn't Jesus care? No, the promise is that He always cares. The promise is that He he has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. The promise is He is with us, yea, I am with you always, even unto the end of this world. That's the promise. Because He's the forerunner. He's made a way. And you and I, we just need to be mindful of that. And so the disciples here, as we finish up, this is the lesson of the storm. The storm. Storms are going to come. Jesus always cares. And um, by the way, it, it was the Stevens who made the comment, Mrs. Stevens, on that one of those Facebook posts there. And I read her post. And it was basically something along the lines of God is always good. And I thought about her and her family and what they went through just a couple of months ago, it was the, it was the opposite, really, of what happened. So God always cares; He never forgets us. He's not taken aback by the storm. Amen. That's my Bible study for this morning. Let's let's pray. Father God, bless now our morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. Thank you that you're a caring God. We're reminded of what your word says in the book of First Peter. Casting all of our care upon him, for he careth for you. In Jesus' name, amen.